0: So it feels we are electric eels going around like a wonder wheel. Round, round, Hello.
1: Round. Welcome to another exciting episode of the TalkScript podcast. I'm Nick Nisi, ahoy hoy, and
0: I'm joined by Tori Rice. Tori, how's it going? Good. I have not slept in anticipation of this. <laughs> Would you say that you're an insomniac? I have become one. <laughs> Zing.
1: Well, those horrible jokes. Uh, we'll set those horrible jokes aside for a moment. Horrible! Let's that was our... an
0: amazing joke. You know what? Know, Let's know. see you bring it this episode. I'm going to talk about that if you <laughs> want from like a branding perspective.
2: It's kind of an interesting little quagmire about like how do you have a <laughs> the name of your thing be a like if you want to promote insomnia, can you make insomnia jokes? But then like, is that mean to people who suffer from insomnia?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. We'll, well, we'll dig into that, but let me let me go ahead and introduce you first. Uh, first off that, that was Dimitri Metropolis. Hi. Dimitri, how's it going? Great. Yeah. Sunny day here in Michigan. By... Oh, awesome. Michigan, right?
2: Yep. The mitten days. Nice.
1: Mittens. Yeah,
2: you because know, it's like shaped like a mitten. I maybe that's not funny to everyone. It's funny to me. So I was
0: born there and I absolutely knew that. I didn't. That seemed nothing out of the ordinary when you said that. <laughs> I've never heard that. Completely unknown to me. Yeah. And then when you yeah. want to tell someone where you are, you just point on the You mitten. Just point
2: to your hand. Yeah. It's like very natural to us, but the rest of the world is like, huh? Uh. If you're from Portugal or like Argentina or California, you can just stick your arm out, right? There's like those. Well, those Italy, kinds you of- have
0: to use your feet, I think. Oh, all right. Yeah. That's. Yeah. <laughs> if you're from Florida, we do talk about how you. Anyway, <laughs> we'll continue.
1: <laughs> We're also joined by James Gatz. James, how's it going?
3: going well i'm i'm joining from amsterdam so completely different uh case it's always day here these days until like 10 11 in the night uh, yeah until you realize it's night but it's really nice um you have to shut down all the you know the satyrs in the in the windows and stuff to survive yeah. but it's it's crazy it's nice so it's a really good place to develop insomnia uh you know <laughs> i just wanted to throw this <laughs>
1: You know, I had no idea that you were joining from Amsterdam. Uh, I was just there last week uh, for JS Nation and React Summit. And uh, oh, yeah, nice. we went to we went to dinner and we came out at like 10.30 and it was still sunlight and we were just like, what is going on? Uh, so yeah, that, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, beautiful city. Um, so welcome to the show. Uh, and now both of you, Dimitri and James, you're joining us from uh, Kong, where you work on an app called Insomnia, which we've kind of hinted towards uh, in in the the kind of pre show ramble, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, and a little bit about Kong and Insomnia?
2: I prepared like a little like like six line uh, summary of like the history of insomnia, if you like. So yeah, insomnia started as a one man project. Uh, this guy named Greg, uh, and he started it as a browser extension, like a Chrome web app type thing and it's actually still on the chrome store but none of the people on the team now realize that it's still up on the store but we were looking at it the <laughs> other day um, it's kind of kind of weird and it's cool to see the things they were like things that have been taken away as as you know over the years and we're like oh wow we should add that back but anyway it started as a chrome extension sometime around uh, like early 2015 and in 2016 it moved to be an electron app with react pretty soon after electron was a thing and it wasn't really uh love at first sight i think like it, there were there was playing around with elm trying to get it like to turn it convert it from react into an elm app um i wish that would have been i would have loved to have been working on elm today but anyway uh but things went along and uh it was using this npm called request and for handling all the request sending and uh, oh, I didn't say what it is, but anyway. No, I was going to say, did
0: I miss what, I what should, it is? I it actually is an app Tanya to keep is. you away. Okay,
2: so um, the the easiest way I like to describe it is it's like a it's like a GUI for curl.
1: Ah. Huh. So yeah,
2: okay. it's just like a way to interact with APIs and send requests and get responses in a kind of visual way, more user friendly, and you don't have to remember all the like. I actually, I actually am terrible with curl. I, I can do some very basic things with curl. Um, even something like HTTP. How do you say it? Pi or HTTP? Pi? Well, but that's CLI. I call it tool. HTTP. HTTP. Yeah. Okay. So. That is like supposed to be the easy like the hallelujah moment for people who can't do curl <laughs> as they use HDPi. I can't even use that, um, but for me, Insomnia and uh, tools like it are really essential. So, anyway, I'll just make it really quick. So we 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 picked up libcurl. So we we depend on libcurl, and so actually our stack is very closely aligned with curl at this moment. And uh, in 2019, Kong acquired Insomnia and uh since then i mean it's been off to the races it's you know it's very it fits into the kong ecosystem it kind of slots in really nicely because it's uh kind of like the beginning of the chain as far as discoverability and interacting with apis and also for kong like insomnia is open source and it has been since you know 2016 when it was in electron and that uh is very well in line actually insomnia is older than kong's gateway but kong's gateway that's called kong is the main product i think of the company or the main thing that drives the company and uh they were started at basically the same time and it kong gateway was also open source so it made sense for kong to bring insomnia on and uh yeah since then i think we've just been trying to build it out and to be a great product that really serves the community. Of course, we want it to serve Kong, but actually, I think it's more important that we serve the greater community and we want to meet people where they are and give them a tool that they can really love to use. And if we do that correctly, then the Kong stuff should happen naturally in the background. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the, the nuts and bolts of it all. Did I miss anything, James?
3: No, I would like to add that uh, what most people that use Insomnia say to us is we like that it's simple. Uh so we we try really hard to make it simpler and to keep it simple. So uh it's a hard job, but uh you know uh it, it's nice and interesting.
1: Yeah, it looks super interesting. I've I've used insomnia before. Um but I it feels like a, you know, a perfect pairing with something like uh I forgot the name of it already, Kong Gateway. Um and just kind of looking at the the services and the 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 stuff that kong provides it's, it just seems like a natural fit for that while also like you know just being a generally nice tool i'm someone that lives on the command line like for everything but i'm in the same boat i can't use curl i don't remember any of the flags for it and so I, I reach for a tool like I mean, me Maybe it's just
2: some people are like, I also, uh, I mean, I've developed on top of Git and made Git features, but I use Git Kraken mm-hmm. every day and I straight up could not, I could not do my job without Git Kraken because I'm just so dependent on it to show me things and um, like keep me in tune with what's going on. Uh, I like having crutches. I don't mind that. TypeScript is a crutch if, anyway, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like uh I need TypeScript to tell me when I'm being stupid, so I can just focus on getting the job done. You know.
1: Absolutely, I love that. That that's like. I used to just you know write JavaScript, and I would remember so much in my head about how the yeah, state if, of everything if I don't have how it was. To
2: hold my hand, I'm like
0: so worthless. <laughs> you know. Um, that's exactly. <laughs> try using CSS grid without looking at the reference manual on that, or mm-hmm. or flex. <laughs> flex i still there's like eight different ways to align stuff and i can't remember which there's the right one there's a css tricks page that i just keep open in the background that's absolutely the same like yep. I, every time i go to use it i'm like boy this is the 80th time i've been here <laughs> um you'd think i would have this down by now but i don't uh, I remember color codes from you know 20 years ago that i don't need anymore but i sure can't remember any of the syntax i need to use <laughs> That's still
3: confuse yeah. the codes on the on the grid template stuff it's You know, it's so nice as an API when you make it work, but it takes a lot of time to uh, get there.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I haven't figured out grid yet. Flexbox I can do with that CSS tricks page open, but I haven't done anything with grid yet. And I would like to, but it just, it looks like gibberish to me when I...
0: I go to a grid it. generator, I make the thing the way I want it to be, and I look at the code, I'm like, oh, that makes sense, okay. But I've tried to just do it from code, and I sit there, and I'm like, I think this is what it is, and I render the page, and it's like, well, that's clearly not what it was supposed to be. Uh, try again. <laughs> so, yeah, tools are great.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, Dimitri, there's... You, you mentioned uh, kind of Insomnia being a tool that, you know, is like a GUI for for curl and you related it to, uh, what was it? It was uh, Kraken being kind of a tool in a similar vein, but for Git instead. And that's really interesting because uh, we actually have interviewed someone from the Get Kraken team about uh, their journey on developing that and going from flow to TypeScript and uh it sounds like you have a similar journey as they were well, one of the first
2: so, i was watching them closely actually uh yeah i, I don't know i'm afraid to say this because i don't want them to start minifying their electron
0: build but <laughs> but you can <laughs> I was see this. say because you were in the bushes and you didn't want them to know okay.
2: well like i you know i was team flow like uh i don't even know james knows like because james is a old school react guy as well as i uh like back in the react 0.13 0.14 days um and uh I was like 100% team Flow. I wanted TypeScript to fail so bad. I just, I, I just wanted it to crash and burn. And I thought Flow would be awesome. And uh, I was wrong. And I had to eat my shoe. But I'm not the only <laughs> one. We all had to eat all of our shoes. And. Uh, it was difficult at the time to find any projects that were in Flow to do conversions. And Get Kraken was one of the first that you could like point to that like here, here's somebody using Flow in production, but they don't, mm-hmm. they're not open source. So what do you have to do? You have to like de- decompile their Electron build or something. I, I just remember going through all of that. And in the code, it was like a bunch of comments of them swearing in like in, about Flow. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember the relief that, that washed over me because it was like, oh wow, okay, I'm not the only one that that's terrible at this like this is this is tough for everyone even the evangelists like like i am so um but yeah converting to typescript uh was a was a fun was a fun adventure um what, do, what is there anything in particular i could talk for like i could definitely fill a three hours talking about that <laughs> is there anything in particular that's interesting to you about when we did that
1: well yeah um i guess the first thing is uh so like I have never really used Flow for anything. Um, I, I've kind of, you know, just dabbled with it a little bit before, Before I don't even know what it is now. Um, Cause it, I know it still exists, but it's kind of doesn't exist outside of Facebook or something. Are you asking um, like,
2: why was I, why did I want it to win over TypeScript?
1: Yeah, exactly. There's,
2: there's two reasons. In the beginning okay. you could not do React development with TypeScript, like could not. And okay. um, yeah. it was a long time actually before that was fixed. And part of the reason is because of JSX, um, but there are other reasons too about how React handled things that were kind of dynamic and weird that the type system couldn't support at the time. I mean, we were talking about mm. TypeScript 1.0 and before. Uh, yeah. So Flow was built off of like the React team were very close to the team That was working on Flow, and it was basically being made for React. I mean, React is still today one of the pretty much the only project left that's written in Flow. Even Jest and Immutable JS and like close to the close to the chest Facebook projects are not in Flow anymore. They're in TypeScript. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the time there was no other option, so that was a big contributor because I loved React and um i was also dragged into react kicking and screaming i thought angular was going to be the only thing forever and then i guess there's a trend it's good to be open do you have
0: any other predictions you want to make about technology right now <laughs> yeah i know maybe like, don't, specific don't companies and for, stock yeah. prices Nothing? yeah yeah okay.
2: um so i mean that was the first thing and then the other major major thing was flow had a design goal to be type sound type soundness means that your type system can't be wrong about what the type of a thing is in runtime and this is difficult to achieve with a compile to JavaScript language, uh, but Elm was one of the. We talked about Elm a second ago, but Elm is a language mm-hmm. that, like, I still I haven't checked in in a while, but there were years for which nobody could show one example of one type error that have ever happened in Flo- in uh, Elm rather, because it was just a. Uh, it was just designed in such a way that you have to validate the inputs, and then inside the black box of the programming language, it's all safe. And Flow had that goal to get there eventually. TypeScript, however, from the very beginning, had the goal of not being sound, like not having all be squeaky clean. And I hated that. And then the other thing is, uh, well, there's like the Microsoft, like, what is it, the extend. Embr- Embrace and em- extend, yeah. exterminate, Embrace, whatever. extend, extinguish. Yeah. So at the yeah. time, people were saying, hey, nobody is using TypeScript. It's just a ploy, like, for the, you know... There was, like, a whole thing with the Angular team uh, was going to make a version of... Uh, Oh man, I have. To, I'm like, I'm such at a Script. geek for this stuff. I don't know if this is we're gonna get into a, the weeds here, but the Angular team was gonna make a version of of JavaScript that was typed called AtScript, and there was That's a summer yeah. there where they were talking in a conference about doing that. And I think Microsoft got really nervous because they dropped the ball in a couple ways with JavaScript, starting with trying to kill it. I like, I don't know if people know, like the I, I think the e, the IE team was disbanded at one point because they're like, great, you know, we can clean our hands of this. We won, you know, it's over. Silverlight and. What is it, James, like the, um, you know, they, they had thought that JavaScript wouldn't be a thing, but they were wrong about that. And basically, the, the Angular team was saying they want to they do this, and Microsoft had, like, the team over for, like, you know, those really fancy Swedish meatballs or whatever, and a really wonderful, uh, you know, dinner, and said, hey, we're gonna do it for you, so you don't have to. And also, we'll put Anders Halsberg on it. You know, Anders Halsberg is the guy who did C-sharp, so he's, like, pretty much the biggest gun that you can you can point at a problem like that. And uh, it's so funny to listen to early interviews of TypeScript because, like, they're asking him, like, so, Anders, like, why are you doing JavaScript? And he's kind of, like, cagey about it. He's kind of like, yeah, I didn't think I would be either. Uh, But, you know, when you get to that point, you kind of have to do it, you know, the thing is that needs to be done. But anyway, they took it. And uh, the only thing the Angular team said is, yes, but we need decorators. And this is a problem because the decorator, I think it was just at stage one at the time. Um, So a very early stage of language design and there are things that could change. And the TypeScript team said, well, we don't wanna do that because that's like runtime stuff and we wanna just be like a type system that you can like type erasure. You should be able to erase the types. And the Angular team said, we don't care, we want we want decorators. And they went, okay. So they added, that's what the decorators, this is if anybody's encountered experimental decorators flags in TypeScript and like that all stems from the history of the Angular team wanting decorators really badly. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, I could, yeah. I'll, it was I'll, a
3: huge thing at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say, like, Dimitri, you always amazed me with your knowledge and history of TypeScript, like how things evolved. <laughs> it's like a, a reading a book uh, of like how the things evolved there. Thanks. Uh, I also wanted to say, uh, you know, the TypeScript pre version two or something was trying to diverge from JavaScript. And that was one of the biggest red flags. And I think once they went into like, um you know we're gonna be a superscript of, of javascript um <laughs> that's when people started being like more um how to say um receptive into it uh, and receptive and feeling safe that you know i'm not investing in something because if i remember the coffee script days and oh, yeah. you know that's we so that's cool. another big topic and <laughs> everyone who invested there is you know uh, regrets it if they mm-hmm. still have some some amount of CoffeeScript. So people that's didn't exactly, want to follow the same thing.
1: Yeah, that, that's exactly why I was at first kind of hesitant on TypeScript because I had seen CoffeeScript and seen it come and go and was not very excited about it. But once I realized uh, that they were not trying to make you learn something new, but really embracing and extending the language and now with the typed proposal, um, the types of comments proposal, maybe extinguishing JavaScript a little bit, um, yeah. you know, we're all we're all going towards that future. I hope that proposal uh, doesn't arms, go forward. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's funny. Um, and I love that that trip down memory lane with, with TypeScript. But that that gives a good example or a good, um, you know, soundness to why you were more pro flow back then versus TypeScript uh, and kind of gives a good idea of um, you know what the environment was like back then. I think since then um, the the community side of TypeScript kind of really took off things like definitely typed. I know that that's where you get like the, the react types uh, now even still today are is um, you know, just exploded. It's a huge repo has everything in it that doesn't ship their own types and um you know, the the community embracing of that. Like there's no library that I can think of that I use that doesn't have types in some way provided for it. Yeah, it's so, a
2: huge yeah. red flag if, if, if they don't, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so you uh, decided to make that change from flow to TypeScript. Uh, can you briefly talk about what went into that? Um, what were like, no. what was the most difficult <laughs> thing about it?
2: No, not briefly, but I'll I'll, I'll tell you some of the <laughs> funny like highlights. I think one of the decisions for anybody listening that you need to make when you're going to convert from float to TypeScript is whether you're going to start at the, the, the roots or your... I, I don't know how to de- just describe it using a tree, so I'll just say, like, are you going to start at the bottom or are you going to start at the top? And let me tell you what I mean. Are you going to pick the things in your dependency tree that have no dependencies and convert those things first? Hmm. Or are you going to pick the thing that everything else is using and convert that first? And this was a problem that we had to solve, like figuring out which we're going to do. And what I did is, I mean, you can see it, it's on our GitHub, but you know, everything about Insomnia is open, like truly open source. Even like us arguing with each other, like what should we do here? What should we do there? So it's kind of beautiful. If you want to go back and look, we have a big kind of master plan that we went through when we did the TypeScript conversion. And part of that was to look at other projects who had done it before. So um, yeah, I have it here. So like Yarn, Jest, GraphQL, uh, Luxon, which is the Moment JS thing, uh, Gatsby Expo styled components, Code Mirror, GraphQL. So like these were all projects that had done that conversion, and we looked at how did they make this dis- like where did they go with it? One of the biggest problems you have when you try to do something like this is the like strong strong desire to scope creep, um, and it's kind of arguable what scope, scope creep even means. Because if you're converting to TypeScript, well, the whole point of TypeScript is to catch errors. Well, what if when you're converting it, you see an error? What do you do? You know, um, And that's a decision you should make before you start because you don't know what you're gonna find until you look and TypeScript's gonna start mm-hmm. looking for you. So those are the first two things you have to do. Are you going to start with the little packages that have no dependencies and and then convert all of those and then kind of work your way up? And the last thing you'll do will be to convert the thing that has most that depends on things within your project. Um, Or are you going to convert that thing first, keep the the boundaries fuzzy and sort of gradually change it? Um, Another question is about strict mode. So strict mode is a thing in TypeScript that is a kind of like a a compilation of different settings that give you better type soundness, the thing I was talking about before. And a lot of those features are really important, but they take effort to install like into your code base. It takes effort to make sure like one of the most important feature of flow and TypeScript, in my opinion, is this thing they do where they split null off of a type. So if you say it's called strict null checks. So if you do, uh, if you type something as a string and strict null checks is off, you could assign null to that string. But if strict null checks is on, then it means that you cannot assign null to the string because you have to say it's either a string or null and with a union type. So you have to make decisions too when you're converting about are you going to turn on strict mode and try to like go like full out and convert everything like super hardcore? Or are you going to keep it less strict in the beginning and trying to kind of like gradually get there? So. Yeah, I mean, these are the decisions you have to make and we needed to make some of those. The biggest problem for us, uh, we tried to use a code, we did use a code mod from Khan Academy, I guess, it's called Flow2ts, to to try to change it. Um, The problem we hit is that, uh, and I didn't realize this when I started the process, our, this is a little embarrassing, I have to tell you, I'm being very vulnerable right now, but (laughs) the, the Insomnia code base had Flow, but only for CSS files. That's right. You heard me right. It was only enabled for CSS files. And the reason was is that we had a big merger with a different code base, uh, called, a thing called Insomnia Designer that was also written in Flow. And yep. we had so many errors with Flow that we like could not cope with that we decided to just kind of turn it off for the build step. But then like it would be on for your editor because your editor wouldn't pay attention to that that Flow config. And so the idea was like, well, we'll catch most of the things because if it's like, it's going to light up like a Christmas tree with errors, if you pull VS code and it's not working, um, mm-hmm. but it's not actually verifying steps at build. And that ended up being a huge problem. It turns out that having no types and converting to TypeScript is easier than having wrong types and converting to TypeScript. The types were just wrong in some cases. And I think this is a thing people miss about TypeScript is that there are things that TypeScript will never allow you to do. For example, if you create a string literal and then so if you say like const x equals string ABC and, you know, end quote. If you Mm -hmm. try to call number methods on that string, like toFixed, for example, um, which is a number method only, TypeScript will error all the time uh, because it knows statically that that will for sure fail in runtime there's no way for that not to fail it knows so there are things that typescript won't allow even if you have it in kind of very permissive way and we hit things like that where it's like wow this is really weird how did flow ever allow this and then eventually we're like oh it didn't allow it it was an error but we were <laughs> we we're not catching it so you know but that's that's life in the big city you know this is things you have to deal with and we had to go through all of those but Yeah, I mean, that's basically the, um, this was just before, sorry to talk so much, this was just before James joined the team. So, (laughs) um, but yeah, that was how we converted to Flow. And recently we, it took about a year for us, if if anyone likes to, would like to feel better about their own types conversion, it took about a year for us to get to strict mode. We still do have a few errors in our project that are ignored that we do need to look into. Um, But in general, uh, it's a long process and you kind of have to be there for the long game because unless you're like a beast for, doing like really soul crushing refactors hour after hour week after week it's just gonna be a thing you have to dance around until it until you don't
1: you like you went through and answered so many follow-up questions that i oh i'm sorry (laughs) okay well no no it's it's awesome uh just very detailed and i appreciate that uh one that i was going to ask specifically was like were you able to leverage any code mods or anything like that too to do that and so i have not seen this flow to ts there is a from...
2: I, i'm sorry i don't remember what it is maybe i can find it there is a code mod that i heard about recently that says like was it airbnb or know, somebody put out a flow to typescript code mod like from like a brand new one recently and it's like man what you guys were only like four years late to market with that i'm really glad somebody's <laughs> doing that and it looked really high yeah. quality but man it's it's a suffering uh it's a kind of certain kind of suffering to be converting something from flow to typescript in 2022 um yeah. you know.
1: So you're you're there. You're converted to TypeScript, and uh, James, you joined and have been writing TypeScript with that. How's it? How's it been going since you're in strict mode? Yeah, too. I was,
3: I was the lucky one for sure. Uh, yeah, I just joined. <laughs> no more uh, flow migrations. Uh, no more. Uh, you know, uh, what's gonna happen here with these old types? Uh, as Dimitri said, it's like an ongoing process. So you you need to keep uh, chunking it away and trying to improve the types, trying to, uh, fix the problems, the underlying problems. Uh, sometimes you have like libraries that are not up to date and you have to do a dance, uh, to make them work with, you know, what you know is, is the API, uh, until you upgrade and you know, your thing breaks and then you're like, Oh, uh, you know, this thing changed. Um, it's, it's a continuous thing. Um, I would say I really like that the project has TypeScript when I joined. Uh, it really helped me dig around into the code base, like understand uh, what data types go through every place, uh, uh, help me fix issues faster, uh, etc. So worth or not, I think Debitrie will answer because he knows what the price was and uh, how much it costed. Uh, But for me, it's like uh, a really nice experience. I I wouldn't go back for sure.
2: Another big reason I forgot to mention, if for anybody listening, like if you're considering converting from Flow to TypeScript, it can do a lot for recruiting. And I can tell you this firsthand because I actually turned down the job for Insomnia in the beginning because they were using Flow in, I think this was 2020 um so in early 2020 i was talking with kong and i said hey i noticed you're using flow when are you going to convert to typescript and the answer i got back was we're not going to convert from to typescript and i said okay i'm not going to work here then (laughs) like i'm going to work somewhere else where they understand why that like in 2020 it was far past the point that typescript had long won." i said i'm just Mm -hmm. going to work somewhere else it's nothing no nothing personal but like i'm not going to be happy and successful on a team that has any sort of motivations that lead them to that answer to that question and uh, so Kong said, no, no, no. Like, why don't you interview with a different team? And, and I said, OK. And I interviewed with a different team. That was a great match. That was using TypeScript. And I came on Kong like that. And then serendipitously, like later on, I ended up transferring into the Insomnia team. Um, and I'm pretty happy here all along anyway. But it, it is a real phenomena. It definitely is a thing that um, if you're using um, Flow or you're not using, or let's say just you have regular JavaScript. I can tell you, I'm James is probably going to be on this boat too. If I had to guess, like, we're not going to take jobs that aren't TypeScript jobs. We're just not going to. I'm just not mm-hmm. going to because uh, because I can have I can work somewhere where it's in you know trying to push the needle for, you know push the needle forward. Is the needle the right thing? Push the ball forward. I'm, I'm not good with sports analogies, but <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, so something to consider if your company is thinking about that. If you're not open source yeah. though, maybe it doesn't matter. But uh, well.
1: Yeah. No, I mean I'd be in that boat too. I, I'm pretty sure. Like, I've been doing like straight TypeScript since 2015. I don't even think I know how to use JavaScript. Right. Yeah, like, I, by could, itself I couldn't anymore. do it. Yeah, I couldn't personally. <laughs> yeah, so th- that would definitely be like Flow, definitely red flag. JavaScript, kind of a red flag, unless you you know there's plans to move to TypeScript and then TypeScript, <laughs> and then it's like levels of strictness within that TypeScript.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> how yeah. Do sometimes I say to people, just because you're Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
0: No, how did CoffeeScript not make the list in that? I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I oh, say to the people, part.
2: just because your files end with TS doesn't, you know, you have the TypeScript extension doesn't mean that you're yeah. in TypeScript.
1: Exactly. A little exactly. bit of
2: an extremist view on my port, my point, I'll agree, but it is kind of true.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I'm did you nail those true. commandments to the door? as <laughs> <Just> like <laughs> when, I, when I came Listen. through, yeah.
2: Yeah, at our company, all hands, we That's make sure to put that on right? the badges, you know.
3: <laughs> yeah. Th- that's very interesting because I think having the TS and not having any types is also one of the strongest uh, uh, things of TypeScript that makes it uh, so easily to adopt. Um, you know, you don't need to think about so many things being right. You just need to care about, you know, that specific code path you want to test. You want to add your types. Um, It's weird. It's also its power.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's just like an implicit level of trust with that that I think you get just jumping into any project and it's so easy to navigate. Um, You know, it's it's hard to move around code, especially, you know, loosely typed JavaScript code, but your editor can do so much if you just give it a little bit of a hint. And that's what TypeScript really does. Um, So there's other topics I want to talk about. Um, while well, we have you because you're a, f- a fascinating team. You're doing some fascinating things. And another thing that's kind of like related to that uh, or or like, you know, build tool type things is um, uh, you mentioned to us in the pre-call uh, about kind of dropping Webpack in favor of Vite and ESBuild. Uh, can you talk about that and what that journey has been like?
3: Yeah, sure. So one of, the, one of the first things that will come, and I, I think Dimitri will agree, is everyone disagrees on the team on how Vite is pronounced. Uh- <laughs> it rhymes <runs> with
1: feet.
0: <laughs> you guys are getting to the, the I hard will it stuff. It it on the
3: website, but like, I, we've been
2: joking that like we should call it Vite because then it's like, com- like completely wrong because it's like yeah. so hard not to say Vite. <laughs> Uh, just a funny side note. There's this thing that I love about the Kong code base, the Kong gateway code base. It's written in Lua. And I don't remember who it was, but one of the people early in the code base decided to indent with three spaces. And the <laughs> rationale was that it pisses off the two space and the four space people equally.
1: <laughs> that's valid. That is very valid. I like that. Which is,
2: uh, and so that's kind of like what we decided. I think, uh, you know, it's supposed to, we're supposed to say it right, but it's so hard yeah. not to.
1: <laughs>
3: For reference. Hey, it's not ideal the- if you don't. Compromise, sorry. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I was going to say for reference V is, uh, I, I've heard that it is French for quick and that's where it comes yes. from.
3: Yes. So one of the things uh, we wanted to improve uh, in our app uh, was bundling. Bundling is one of the things that you do, you know, every time you uh, want to check out a pull request and test something really quick, Every time a colleague of yours is like, "Hey, I made, uh, you know, I fixed this. Can you check it out?" Uh, Everything you do every day is like bundling, bundling, bundling. So our Mm -hmm. laptops, uh, you know, spend so much energy running Webpack. So we were like, "We need, uh, we need something better, faster, etc." What is out there uh, on the market right now? And uh, Vite seemed like a promising thing, Um, but also the migration to it seemed like a faraway dream uh, where we would have like to spend a lot of time, invest a lot of, uh, you know, um, uh, effort to try to make it work with our conventions, because mm-hmm. uh, Webpack and Electron had a very nice story to tell at the time. Uh, but VIT and Electron is like unknown, uncharted territory, at least when we when we uh, tried to to introduce it. Um, and it also led us to, tr- to find some weird conventions we had about bundling in our app. Uh, for example, we used node integration in uh, Electron, which allows you to also import, require, like node modules. Okay. Um, so we had to do something specifically for, the, for this uh, with Fit uh, to, to keep that feature up until we remove it from the app. Um, Overall, it's a very good experience. The speed is magnitude bigger, like an order of ma- magnitude faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah.
1: And that is mainly because V passes everything off to ES build, which is running Go and it's much faster. <laughs> so that's uh, that's why yeah. it's definitely in my, my preview right now of looking into we're just using straight create react app and uh which is using babel or uh, sorry yeah babel and webpack um and it it just is an order of magnitude faster if Um,
2: if anyone's interested in bundling this has to be like the most or like javascript build compile steps and build chains this has to be like the most exciting time to be alive ever because there's so many cool tools that are coming up now like a completely new generation um, yeah. I, I heard about this tool yeah. the other day, Moon. Have you guys heard about this one? It's a it's a moonrepo.dev. It's like a um, build system for mono repos and JavaScript written in Rust. And it's like mm-hmm. so common to see these tools appearing. And it looks super legit. I, I mean, I, I haven't used it, so I probably shouldn't be promoting it. But I'm just excited. I'm excited to see this stuff coming ar- coming around. And yeah. uh, Vite and, and ESBuild are definitely in that line. And also like, There's more, you know, all this stuff built in other languages. SWC,
1: Rome. Yeah. There's Right. Yeah. Just, yeah, it really does feel like a renaissance around tooling, like build tooling. And in a lot of these cases, like uh, Moon and SWC, those are both Rust projects. Yeah, SWC as well. Yes, build is go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The future of JavaScript build tooling doesn't seem to be JavaScript, Uh, but for good reason, because there is just such a speed improvement.
2: Right, and the same thing with, is it Deno? I, I never know how to say it. Yeah. D- Dino, Dino. okay, well anyway, my father's name is Dino, so it's a little, it sounds a little weird yeah. to call it that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it's like so strange to see how much consistency we're getting and how quickly, I mean, it seems like an impossibly difficult task to like rewrite, all this stuff and v8 and everything else but mm-hmm. apparently not because here we are i mean <laughs> today i'm happy to report insomnia is not using webpack in any corner of our application we're completely es build and Vite all throughout that's amazing nice. i mean yeah. that's amazing for something that just happened it just basically just was born and now we're using it on production and we haven't had any problems with it so it's pretty incredible
1: so to that end you're probably not using jest then for testing is that right
2: we're using jest yeah we're using just 28 um and okay. we're using that in in combination with smoke tests which are using playwright
1: okay do you want to talk about uh how you're how you're doing those smoke tests i guess first off do you want to describe what a smoke test is
3: cool all right so uh cl- okay so in in our app uh creating a smoke test is kind of a different uh, experience than you know creating a smoke test for a website where you navigate to the URL, you see the thing and you move around. Uh, you also need to sp- uh, speed up Electron uh, and do like a dance, make sure uh, it's gonna load. Um, parallelism is a different thing, like how, how you spin up this Electron applications um, has its own like extra complexity. Um, so an end-to-end test for us is a bit different to what an end-to-end test for us would look on the web um, in the sense that we need to not just run the website, we also need to run the Chromium browser that runs the website and all that stuff in Electron. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a long story on how, how like it works um, and how it worked before. Uh, when we were using Spectrum, another tool for testing Electron apps. Um, but we kind of forgot about all these things when we introduced Playwright um, and just launch the app, uh, run a scenario. Like, you know, a user can create a request and send the um, send request through the API, get back some results, uh, see the results on the, on the application. So an end-to-end test for us would be just running a scenario like this and making sure um, the feature is there uh, it keeps working uh, we haven't broken anything and whatnot um and it's something we were afraid to do because uh, it was so easy to make flaky end-to-end tests <laughs> back in the day yes <laughs> uh oh my god uh yeah so we we would end up like not trusting the tests at all uh and just you know just merging something or manually having to manually go and test it ourselves uh which was not scaling um and yeah we we, we changed we used playwright the nice thing about playwright is you can write your tests in typescript and you don't need bundlers to like understand them you just just write in typescript and playwright just runs the tests uh, so it was like another tool getting out of the way um and you know just just being there, you run the thing. It understands TypeScript, whatever. Uh, you can still run your tests, uh, which is also what I like about Vit. Uh, it kind of gets away from you uh, having to configure all those stuff and having to care about all these weird tricks. And it just accepts, you know, the the thing you would expect it to do, like a zero config uh, feeling uh, mm-hmm. for developer experience.
2: The thing I like about it a lot, too, uh, that James didn't mention is not just uh, like running the tests, but writing the tests. It has a really cool recorder. And I know that this is common, like Selenium and um, uh, what's the other one? Uh, with an, uh, uh, Cypress, yeah, they all, they yeah. have these kinds of recorders and I, I get that. but. The one in Playwright is really good, and it really works well, and it shows you the code like as you're typing, and so you can kind of learn the API that way by clicking around in your app and seeing what it kind of translates to. And there are always quirks, like for example, if it clicks on a button, well, the place it qu- clicks is in like the middle of the button, right? So if it's clicking on a link, then it will click in the the pixel in the middle of the link. You know, if it measures the size of it. Those, there are kind of weird things if you're measuring tooltips showing up and some or something like sometimes there are weird things that it does, and it mm-hmm. shows you that in the UI like where you can kind of intuitively understand what it's doing and where it's going. Um, James has been definitely like uh, like way better at getting the playwright stuff going than I have, but I've been able to get along with it and start writing tests and using it because it just makes it so easy and you know. When I have problems, I just cry to James, like "Please help me," and and then he shows me the the way. But it's uh, you know, it's new for him too. It just, I mean, playwright is not that old, is it? Um, no. So
3: yeah, it's, pretty new.
2: it's It's a testament to how good of a job they've done of ab- abstracting away a really difficult problem. Like I kind of look at Playwright as the modern jQuery, and I mean that in a positive way, believe it or not, because anybody who was around in the jQuery days understands that like jQuery solved an intensely difficult problem of like how do you write something for multiple versions of Internet Explorer at the same time or multiple browsers. And it gave you a way to abstract away the browser from the issue. And Playwright does a pretty good job of that. Like you can run them in um, you know different environments. Of course, we're using Electron, so it's like only Chrome. But still, to us, I, I we see so much value there, and uh, I couldn't imagine going back to what what we were doing before. We were using yeah. a thing called Spectron. I think it's yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's like one more... of the
3: things that. Sorry. One of the things that make it more uh, valuable to us is, I I think you hit a nerve when you ask the question, what is an end-to-end test for you guys? Uh, This is like a philosophical question that everyone tries to answer all the time in in different (laughs) contexts and whatever. Um, It's so hard to understand what is a good end-to-end test and what it should try to do, what it shouldn't try to do. You know, it takes so much time to run these tests because they basically spin up your whole app uh you test everything if you were on a website you would you know spin up a server and you would serve that those pages uh you would log into a database like i don't know Uh, depends on what what you define as an end-to-end test Mm -hmm. Uh, but the more stuff you do the more slow your pull request uh checks are gonna be and uh it's not uh you know it's not fun having to wait like half an hour uh for your end-to-end tests to say oh you know it failed uh sorry uh even more if they are just flaky and they fail like for some reason that you didn't trust uh, that just becomes a nightmare of having to rerun them or having to recheck them um so yeah you want to have really good end-to-end tests
2: step one found an isp get the internet (laughs) backbone set up put cables under the ocean that's how you do a real (laughs) end
0: now we're talking engineering this is what we're talking about yeah
3: yeah. Yeah. So I, I think Playwright helped us in a sense, um, by making writing those tests so easy, you know, you just click stuff and it records what you clicked, what you, what you put on the input and yeah, like it's not a hundred percent there, but like it's 80% there. So when you think of writing a test, it gets you started much faster, um, than, you know, having to go and learn all these APIs, Uh, understand like how you should use them and and whatnot it gets Mm -hmm. you there um and then of course you know you need to make it dance you need to go there you need to change um uh you know how things um would be clicked because uh it will just say hey you just click the third div inside another div and probably you want to use a selector or something uh and and you want to change it
1: yeah and like I've used it a bit before and it's it's just really nice and easy to like a, a really nice and easy API to get set up. And the typescript support is great so you know you get that help as you're writing the test. The docs are pretty good. And uh, one thing that I I really liked was with, with some of the stuff that I was writing, I had to like reach out to third parties to like get data and then pull it in and, and kind of use that within my app. And I was able to, like, mock those out with Playwright so that I could just have, like, a simulated response from those third-party things. And, you know, it's not a full end-to-end test at that point, but at least I'm not, like, slamming their servers with (laughs) with my test requests. Well, if you built your Um, own,
0: you know, ISP and you had your own cables and backbones, you wouldn't have this problem. But I guess you solved it in a creatively different way.
1: Uh, Yeah. That way would probably be better, though, if I just had my own backbone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's a it's a fantastic tool, and that's that's really cool to uh, to hear how you're using it. Um, now, one other thing, I know we there there are a couple of other things that I wanted to talk about that we talked about um, prior to starting this call, and one of them was uh, another tool that you're you're building that kind of you know solves that itch or, or scratches some itches that you have, and that is a, a changelog generator mm. uh, that you use at Kong. Do you want yeah. to talk about what that is?
2: Sure. Um the the changelog generator kind of happened organically we had a very long and arduous changelog process and uh we want or not just changelog sorry release process in general we really mm. want to get this team moving towards having continuous delivery as much as possible for a desktop app, I think this continuous delivery is incredibly painful for users because, like, you need to do something to make it really seamless and easy for them to upgrade or like upgrade for them in the background, and then when they restart, you know, like Discord for example is an Electron app similar to Insomnia, and they do a good job of this. You know, you don't really have to think about updating Discord too often; it kind of does yeah. it for you. Um, Slack is similar, so I think that we uh, we had a, some very big differences about how we noticed people do change logs. And one of the big important things is a changelog that's good is not a laundry list of assorted changes. That's not useful to users. And right. it, it kind of comes back to a, a, a kind of philosophical point that thankfully everyone on the team agrees on. Changelogs are kind of marketing mixed with uh, like developer help guides. Yeah, you, they're not a, a like th- something that happened in your code base, but that is not useful to announce for the purposes of growing your company or, or the product and is not useful for people who need to know about it because they need to change something. If it doesn't fall into one of those groups, it probably doesn't belong in the change log. And I've, I'm sure we've all seen like there's this thing. Uh, what's it called? Uh, change uh, conventional commits. That's what it is. Yeah. So um, I hate conventional commits. I think I was like, I don't use the word hate too willingly, but I think it's really not a good solution for change logs. It has other uses. But using it to generate change logs generates some of the worst change logs I've ever seen. And I think there's a really good reason for that. It's because, well, you know, it's for the wrong audience. The commit message that you write is for version control, but there may be a completely different message that you want to communicate to people who read the change log. So how do you like span the gap? What we did is we created a tool where you put your changelog information into the PR. And this is all open source. So if you go to GitHub slash changelog-generator, um, you can see this and use it yourself. It's exactly what we use on production now. And the idea is, is that you put some information in the description of the pull request into your uh, changelog system. And that is where it grabs w- what you need to say about a particular release or a particular PR or whatever. There are a couple really, really, you might have thought of some of them by now. There are a couple really good benefits to this. One of the biggest benefits is you can change it later. I mean, anybody who's done changelog systems that you like put the changelog thing into the repo and like a changelog.md file at the root, anybody mm-hmm. who's done that knows how deeply painful it is to push merge and then like a half millisecond later realize after you merged it that there's like a typo and that then you have to go make a new PR and you have to get it approved and it has to go through CI and all this stuff. When really it's just marketing material, you should be able... And, that, and I understand that some people uh, find that attractive and there may be products and, and services for which you do want to put some checks and balances in place. That's okay. I understand. I, I'm, I hear you. Insomnia is not one of those projects. And I would actually argue almost nothing is one of those projects. Most of the time, if there's a typo in your changelog, you'd like to just be able to fix it mm-hmm. like, like you could in a Google Doc. Well, if that happens with this system, you go on the PR description and you edit it and if you're an owner of the repo you can edit other people's PRs so you go there and you add the item and then it's fixed you run the generator again it's it's uh, item potent so uh, you can just run it as many times as you want it doesn't matter well eventually you'll get rate limited by github but that's a different thing so if you don't get rate limited then you just go and this this has a whole lot of benefits that are really important. I mean and we also have an inverse mode where you can have it tell you what the commits and pull requests are that don't have change logs. So you can sort of make sure that one wasn't missed and you can sort of look through it. So if you and this is again, you can see it on our, our GitHub if you look for any release that we have on uh, on the Insomnia GitHub. Our We have like a GitHub bot that will post the output of the changelog generator, including PRs that didn't have changelog uh, messages. And it's really, really simple, by the way. The format is you type uh, changelog colon space. The space is not required, but anyway, changelog colon, and then you just type. And you just type something about whatever it is that you want to appear in the changelog for this particular commit. And then it shows up later on when it gets generated. And the changelog generator just looks between two commits. So the inputs for the generator are just a starting commit and an ending commit. And it will just rip through all of those commits and look for associated PRs using the GitHub API. Um, I had a really terrible way of doing this. Uh, It was just like going commit by commit and trying to search with the GitHub API. I told you James like, saves my butt all the time. So James came in and was like, no, this Dimitri, this is crazy. We could use the, get, the GraphQL API. And I was like, well, the problem is I'm not so good with GraphQL. But guess what? James is great with it. So James fixed all that. And now it just does it in, uh, in like one request, basically, to get all the changelog information and all the pull request names. And yeah, that's, that's the system. And uh, it saves us from quite a, lot of, uh, quite a lot of problems. And I think it's been a, it's been a pretty big win.
1: That is Yeah, awesome. I really
3: like that it gets out of your way and you don't have to think about the, the change log stuff when you make a PR. Yeah. It kind of like removes the problem for you entire, entirely.
2: Yeah, that's that's one of the, the kind of like morals of the whole project is the, the changelog is not the responsibility of open source contributors. Think about that. Should it be? If it should be, no. I, I don't. I think you're probably just wrong. I mean, I guess I don't know every open source project, but I think for the vast majority of open source projects, what you want to do is incentivize people to have like no barriers to entry to make a PR. You want to yeah. just just rip down every wall that you can rip down and take that onto your plate. And if there needs to be a changelog that you communicate to the users of your product, that if, especially if it's a paid product, I guess if you have an open source project that's open, that's like for free and free as in beer type of thing and nobody... There's no company behind it. I could understand. But for us, I mean, like, people pay us to use Insomnia. We have a responsibility to make their lives as easy as possible. And for our users who are developers, part of making their lives easy involves making it easier for them to fix things if they see a problem. We want to incentivize them to do that. But if we put a thing like conventional commits in between them and getting what they want, they might just say, oh, forget it. I'm not going to learn how to do this stupid thing. And I'll just, they'll figure it out eventually, you know? So. Yeah that goes for for pr templates as well like we don't we have intentionally like really bare bones templates where we don't ask you to do a whole lot to submit a pr we just want you to feel free like to do it and if you need to rebase it or squash it or do some particular thing we'll just do it for you and that goes for change logs as well
1: yeah i really like that because it's like you said the the change log is kind of you know part what's changed and part marketing and you really right. want full control over that marketing. And, you know? and by
2: the way, it's a great way to coordinate with marketing because, guess mm-hmm. what, marketing can run, you can give them, a, and we have, you can give them a simple command that they can run any time, day or night, to mm-hmm. see what the change log looks like since the last uh, release, and they can start being made aware of things that we might have forgot to mention to them. And if they want to publicize it or write a blog post or do whatever, or they see a way that they'd like it to be phrased, the product mm-hmm. people and the, the designers and, and marketing people and sales people, they can all stay up to date with that without us having to f- like forwardly communicate that to them. They can just run the script or they can have a Slack channel that shows them the script anytime something with a changelog edit you know comes through. And it's just a way for us all to communicate and collaborate asynchronously. And you wouldn't be able to do that if it was just like a, I guess they'd have to like watch the file or something, the changelog.md file on GitHub or something. But it just makes it all really, really quite easy. And you can take things out of the changelog easily that way too, you know, if you just Mm -hmm. remove it from the PR description. So it's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, that's really awesome. And I'm glad we dug into this because when I first like started looking at the repo, I'm like, oh, I bet this is doing something on top of conventional commits and and setting it up. So I'm glad we dug into that more. And uh, your reasons for... Hate is not something I'd use with that, but I can definitely <laughs> okay, see right. why why I you just, have that.
2: I just really like I really like making it easy. <laughs> let me put it that way. Yeah, like yeah, I see absolutely. something like conventional. I, it's conventional commits to me seem like kind of like an act of aggression against open source collaboration. The counter argument would be, of course, like, well, but if everyone's already familiar with it and everyone's already doing it, there are so many things you could use my argument against me on, like, is Git an act of aggression? Because you have to, like, learn how to use <laughs> yeah. Git in order to, you know what I mean? It's like, yes, yeah, sort of, it sort of is, but it's one that's a concession we all have to take, and I I guess that's where I draw the line, and other people can draw the line differently, and that part is definitely subjective, so I should be nice.
1: <laughs> no, no, I'm not trying to say that, uh, but I, I definitely see that, like, You've, you've changed my mind a bit on conventional commits, I suppose. Um, not that I ever get to use them. Everything I do gets squashed and my commit messages I've learned just don't matter. So <laughs> because of that. Um, so yeah, that is awesome. Uh, and, and we'll have a link to that tool in the show notes. And now one thing I wanna mention before we, we get going, first off, thank you so much, James and Dimitri, for coming on and, and talking to us. If folks want to uh, learn more from you, you'll have a fantastic live stream that you do on various different topics. Um, Do you want to briefly talk about that?
3: Cool, yeah. So uh, every Tuesday uh, in my time zone, it's 4.30. Uh, So uh, Central uh, Eastern European time, I think, Um, we have Insomnia Stream. Insomnia Stream started as a way for us to talk with a community, um, to understand uh, their problems and their PRs and their issues, and try to push them forward and and try to uh, do more stuff. But the the great thing is, um, it helped us, um, you know, get started on on uh, getting more people in, um you know, to talk about anything insomnia related. So if you're interested, if you have any issues, if you've made a pull request, uh, it's the best place to find us and talk to us and and solve those problems. And Dimitri started it. uh, So he knows more about the motivations and, you know, uh, uh, how everything works. I'm still learning how uh, the streaming stuff works. I I feel like an old person, like not knowing (laughs) about technology when when I try to stream. Uh, he, he's like an expert in these things, um, nah. so yeah. It's it's, it's all it's done really the nice. Open. It's like a coffee place. With yeah, Insomnia. we had so we had safe. the
2: stream yesterday, and someone came on the stream from the community we'd never met before, interacted with, never made an issue or pull request, but he just came on the stream to chill out, just to hang out and you know go be there with us while we were going through issues and chit chat. And that's exactly the kind of vibe we're trying to have, is just to be low pressure. And like, we make mistakes and sometimes it's silly. I have a Rick and Morty and a Dr. Evil soundboard. You guys remember those? You like Dr. Evil, you you can like, yeah. So we click the soundboard sometimes. Uh, Sometimes uh, there are inappropriate things and we try to steer away away from those things. But uh, yeah, we just like to have fun and it's just a way to interact with the community and make sure that we're addressing things that are coming up. Um, Every open source, like large project probably feels like they do a terrible job of addressing the community's needs, you know, it's like there are a lot of needs, so we shouldn't beat ourselves up, but we try to make it really available to people and yeah, it's just all the stuff James said, it's everything, every single thing about it is done in the open, including like our rationale for what time we pick and um, when we're having problems or when like, you know, anything that happens with it, we do in a public channel only, we don't have a channel internal in Slack about the stream our attitude is if we have something to talk about we should talk about it in the open and uh if people don't care then they just cannot listen that's fine um and we just try to make it available to people and um you know keep it real low pressure and low-key
1: i love that learning in public you're really embracing that and uh, letting folks learn along with you it is a bit stream, embarrassing
2: so. sometimes i will admit there are plenty of streams <laughs> where i'm like man that's gonna be there my grandkids are gonna watch that and say look how much of an idiot he was <laughs> um but you know that's life it's okay you know um just try to be graceful when we fall
1: absolutely and it's i think it's so important to see that like not just see all the successes but you know there's a lot of this is hard work there's a lot that goes into it and um when you are doing it learning in public doing it in public other folks get to learn and see those mistakes along with you and everyone grows so all positives that's really awesome um Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today uh we'll have show note links with uh all the various things that we've talked about and um dimitri james uh anything that you want to say as a as parting comments
2: we're chatty Cathys. so you know we both have to (laughs) (laughs) we both have to um choose our words it's it was uh you guys were definitely like uh, the most important podcast that we we found i mean we were looking around because we want to kind of get on these things and talk we like we just love to talk shop i think that's the thing this dream mean, speaking of this dream kind of Mm -hmm. ignited in us it's really fun to just like be a part of the world a little more rather than coding in our little corner of the universe and i think we're just trying to kind of like do that and it's fun to do that and uh, I love what you guys do. And I'm really, I'm really glad that you're, you're out there doing. It. I know it's a lot of effort and kind of thankless at times. So let me just say thank you for putting in the effort to do what you're doing. It really does add a lot. And those podcasts are up forever. So people can benefit them for a long, long time after you took the time to make it. And it's really valuable.
1: We know. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate those words. Thank you. I don't mean that
2: it's up forever as a threat, you know. <laughs> oh, no. No. Luckily, you know, my kids already <laughs> think I'm stupid. So it's, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: I'll have to wait for the podcast for that. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys so much.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right. That's the show. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us online at TalkScript.fm. You can subscribe or follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods casted to. The theme music is by Rabbit at RabbitTheBand.com gonna see where the day goes take it fast take it real slow we got a good